0: We are in a series called Redemption, and we're studying the Exodus together, and uh, the Exodus is often referred to as the defining act of salvation in the Old Testament. Did you know that? that? That of all the stories in the Old Testament, all of it points forward to Jesus, but the Exodus in particular really spells out the way that God frees and rescues his people, And it points forward to Jesus' work on the cross. And so uh, we've really been in a lot of introductory things and we'll continue that way yet this Sunday. Next Sunday we'll really get into uh, the aspect where God begins to free his people. But today we're in Exodus chapter 4 and uh, as we get going I thought maybe let me just bring you up to date of where we're at in the stories. Does that sound good in case you've missed a little bit? So we started out, God's people were in Egypt uh, for over 400 years. And over those 400 years, uh, there was a new pharaoh that came to power, obviously, many new pharaohs, but one, as we pick up the story in the beginning of Exodus, who was uh, not favorable to God's people. He was afraid of them, this large migrant population that had moved into his country, and now they were a threat to their way of life. And so uh, in his fear, he began to oppress them. And he he cast great burdens on them and made them become slaves for the rest of Egypt. They built store cities for Pharaoh. Uh, They built probably many other things that we're not told about in the text. And they were harshly oppressed. And as they grew greater and greater, uh, Pharaoh's oppression on them got greater and greater. And his oppression on them was really to try to confine them from growing and multiplying. But what happened was that the more he oppressed them, the more they grew. Because God was with his people and he was remembering his promise to Abraham to make his descendants into a mighty nation. And so... Uh, the people began to cry out to God for help. And uh, this oppression got so severe, in fact, that uh, Pharaoh commanded that the firstborn, if if there were any sons, not just the firstborn, but any sons born to the Hebrew people, that they should be killed immediately. And there were some midwives who didn't obey this. And so then he told all the people of Israel, hey, when you see an infant boy, that's a Hebrew, throw him into the Nile River. And so there was this one family though, this one woman who was pregnant and she gave birth to a boy who was healthy and uh, and whole and his name ended up becoming Moses and she puts him in a basket and lays him alongside the river in the reed, reeds and uh, Pharaoh's daughter comes down to bathe and she finds him there and has compassion on him. She takes him into her home and raises him as her own and so this boy, this Hebrew boy, Moses, grows up in the palace of Pharaoh. Of the king. And over time, uh, though, it becomes apparent, we're not told when, but it becomes apparent to Moses that uh, he wasn't, in fact, Egyptian, but was Hebrew and was adopted into this Egyptian family. And he he sees the Egyptians oppressing his people, the Hebrew people, Israel. And uh, standing up for someone, he ends up murdering an Egyptian man who was oppressing him This gets back to Pharaoh, so Moses takes off for his life and flees into the wilderness of Midian, which would be probably modern-day Saudi Arabia. And he takes off there, and he lives there for 40 years. He he meets his wife there. He has uh, uh, a couple sons there, at least. And uh, after 40 years, uh, God appears to him, Jesus appears to him, through the burning bush on Mount Sinai and says, Moses... The text tells us that Moses was about 40 when he ran and now he's about 80 when the burning bush appears to him and says, Moses, uh, I'm going to use you to free my people, Israel. And Moses uh, gives all these objections about why he's not the guy to send. We've looked at those the last couple Sundays. And he's like, oh, well, I, um, do, do, you know my, do you know who I am? Who am I, Lord? Uh, don't you know I, I, I don't speak very eloquently. I kind of stammer and stutter. I don't, I don't know if I can really go before Pharaoh and talk. And, um, and, and he gives all these excuses. And then finally it comes out. He's like, I just, I don't want to do it, Lord. I don't want to obey. And so God says, fine, you're going to miss out. The blessing is going to go in part then to your brother Aaron, but you're still going, Moses. And so he sets it up to where his brother Aaron, we're going to see this week, comes out to meet him in the wilderness. Aaron will be his mouthpiece. And the story we pick up today is really them heading back to Egypt. And contained in this narrative today is one of the weirdest passages in all the Bible. Are you ready for it? Just hold on to that thought, because I think you'll agree when we get there. But with that, let me pray, and then we're gonna pick up the story uh, where Moses is preparing now to go back to Egypt. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your grace. And uh, Lord, thank you for the example of Moses, a guy who we can readily identify with, a man who uh, had shortcomings, who had failures, and yet you still called him and used him uh, for your glory uh, as he was obedient to you. The same is true for us, Lord, as we, as we turn to you and trust you and uh, obey you. You desire to use us for your glory and for others' good and for our joy. Holy Spirit, I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. Would you instead uh, come uh, and, and teach us and change us and make us more like Jesus? Give us the confidence of who we are in Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the things about Jesus that we've uh, talked about and I've kind of hammered the last few weeks is that when Jesus calls somebody to himself and they respond and become a Christian, the next thing he does is he sends them out on mission, right? Without fail. Every single person he sends. So if you're a Christian, You've been sent on mission. Now Moses' mission was unique in that he was going back to Egypt to free God's people. But one of the things we see in Moses and we see in Jesus' call to us and his promise to send us and go with us is that Jesus wants to use you. He wants to use you. In fact, he wants to use Moses. Here, we're going to see, even in spite of, of Moses, pleas, like, oh, I'm not good enough. I've, I've failed. Uh, don't, don't you understand? There's, there's nothing about me that's worth using. And in fact, I kind of stutter when I talk. And uh, how could you use me? And Jesus is like, well, M- Moses, I made you. And I want to use you. Yeah, but don't you know my past? Don't you know the ways I've screwed up? And, well, of course I do, but I want to use you. I want you to go and rescue my people. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus wants to use you. Do you believe that? Some of you, I'm guessing, maybe deep down though, you don't know if you really believe that, if God could really use you. But the truth is he wants to, and he can and he will. Let's pick up the text here with him sending Moses in Exodus 4. So uh, he had called Moses. He talked to him. And in Exodus 4, verse 18, it tells us, after that whole encounter with the burning bush, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law. And he said to him, please, let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Uh, Moses asked to go back to see his people now um, you're like okay I thought Jesus said that if we're going to follow him we're supposed to like uh abandon everything and go like the one guy remember the one guy who comes to Jesus and he's like well Lord I'll follow you but first I need to go bury my father or my mother or whatever it was right remember that passage and what does Jesus say Unless you hate your mother and your father, you, you're no good to be following me. You can't put your hand to the plow and then turn back. What's Moses doing? Well, Is, is this wrong of Moses to do this? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think Moses, or or Jesus teaching on that isn't that you quit respecting and loving and caring for your family after you become a Christian, even if they're not followers of Jesus. It's that, uh, you just recognize your higher calling is to Him. And when the two conflict, you've got to follow Jesus. What Moses is doing here is he's being a good son in law. He's being obedient because he was on, remember he was at Mount Sinai. What was Moses? What was his uh, occupation? Do you remember? Starts with an S, ends with eppard. <laughs> shepherd, right? He was a shepherd. So Moses was a shepherd, and he had the flock that belonged to his father-in-law, Jethro. And he has, a, has the flock on Mount Sinai, and all of a sudden the bush appears to him. So really Moses is being a, an honorable man in that he's taking back what's not his to give it back to his father-in-law. He's got to take that flock back to him. And then he also, because he had been under his authority, living under his house, uh, he asks his permission to go back Now if Jethro had said no I think we would have still seen Moses go That's where Jesus teaching about um, You know you need to honor me first if, if you don't hate your mother and father He's not literally saying hate them He's just saying If you can't put me before them You're not fit to follow me So uh, he goes back to them Honors them they, he, Jethro says go And he begins to go He said, he wants to go back to my brothers in Egypt, he said, to see whether they are still alive. Well, now Moses identifies himself fully as as, not as an Egyptian, but as an Israelite, doesn't he? My brothers who are in Egypt. But yet we still see a little bit of Moses timidity because he goes to find out if they're still alive. See if my family's still alive. Well, God had already told him they were still alive. He told him that Aaron, his brother, was coming to meet him, right? Right. So we see a little bit, can't you resonate with that? Or Moses, he's not quite fully bold yet, but he's still following. And guess what? God is still going to use him. So Jethro says to Moses, go in peace. And then the Lord said to Moses in Midian, uh, he says, uh, this passage kind of winds around giving an account in different ways. Go back to Egypt for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. Remember Moses had ran into the wilderness because he had murdered a man and now all those people who are seeking his life are dead. So he's concerned about Moses' safety that he can go back, isn't he? So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey. Now, We've been comparing Jesus to Moses, right? And Moses to Jesus. And here's another example. When Jesus was a young boy in Bethlehem, there was an edict put out to kill all the young boys, wasn't there? And so what did, uh, God appeared to his adopted daddy Joe and said, hey, uh, get up and go because Herod's coming. They want to take the boy's life. You need to flee, go to Egypt. And so he saddles up his family on a donkey. And where do they go? to Egypt now it's, it, it was, Jesus, God was concerned about their safety and I think it's the same thing here with Moses God is concerned about their safety and he saddles up a donkey and he takes his family and goes in to Egypt and it says and Moses took the staff of God in his hand Now it's no longer Moses' staff. We saw last week where uh, God gave Moses three signs and one especially was with his staff where he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and then he picked it back up and it became a staff again, right? And it goes from being Moses' staff to the staff of God. And I told you, if you remember, I said, we're gonna see the staff as a symbol of God's presence over and over in Exodus and a symbol of God fulfilling his promise. Now, what I didn't get into last week is that in that day, your staff was like your primary ID. It was likely that men and women both had staffs. We only see them in the context of men having them in the, in the Bible, but chances are that women had them as well. And your staff would have been akin to your identification. Uh, in terms of travel, it'd be like your passport. In, in terms of, of purchasing something, it'd be like your debit card. It'd be your signature on a covenant. Your staff was what identified who you were. And many of them likely had intricate carvings and things like that that clearly identified to the people who knew that person whose staff that was. And so this staff, Moses' staff, goes from being the staff of Moses to the staff of God. And the staff then was this symbol of God's presence with Moses, it was his promise that through Moses he was going to accomplish all these things and that he was going to be with Moses the whole time. It'd be kind of like any of you who have teenagers and you're brave enough to give them your credit card. And you say, here, go. You can go with my authority, you can purchase something, you can do. that's a very similar idea, at least in our culture, maybe of, of a staff. And it was God's authority and his presence with Moses. And you'll see Aaron's staff called the staff of God as well, because God works through Aaron in the same way. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I've put in your power. Do you remember the miracles? I already mentioned one. You know, you take your staff, throw it down, and it'll become a serpent. Now, When God first told Moses to do these things, though, it was so that who would believe? It was so the Israelites would believe. And now it's clearly also a sign for Pharaoh to believe. So he did that, and then he also put his hand inside his cloak, and what happened to it when he pulled it out? It was leprous and white and uh, just an awful skin disease, and he puts it back in and pulls it out, and he's healed. There's sign number two. And sign number three, which was geared more towards the Egyptian people, and so now it's obvious why that was, because God wants Moses to do these before Pharaoh too, is he would turn uh, the the Nile, pour water out, and it turned blood, and he eventually turned the Nile to blood. So uh, the Lord said to Moses, when you go back, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles I've put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. And this foreshadows the final of the 10 plagues that God is going to inflict on the Egyptians at the Passover, where God's wrath will pass over any who paint the doorframe of their home with the blood of the lamb, which ultimately points forward to Jesus. Anyone who would believe and paint the doorframe of their life with the blood of Jesus, the lamb, God's wrath will pass over you. And now we get to verse 24. So you got the picture so far? Moses is gearing up to go back. He goes back to Jethro, gives back the flock. Um, he, he gets ready to go and he takes off. God says, hey, go back. All the people who want your life are dead. So he saddles them up on a donkey. They go back and uh, he gives them instructions. And then on their way, look what happens. Remember, Jesus calls, he sends, and he goes with, right? But maybe you weren't thinking about this on the way back. At a lodging place on the way. The Lord met him and sought to put him to death. What? What do you mean? He sought to put him to death. I thought you just said that God wanted to use Moses. Well, I told you, this is, this is a weird passage, And it's going to get weirder as we keep going. If you think that's strange that God would would want to suddenly put Moses to death, what is going on here? Well, let's keep reading and then I'll try to give you some background to make it make at least a little bit of sense. How's that sound? Because it gets weirder. Let's keep reading. Then Zipporah, Moses' wife, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom bridegroom of blood to me. Is that strange? And so he let let him alone. God let him alone. And it was said. It was then said. Or excuse, excuse me. It was then that she said, "A bridegroom of blood, because of the circumcision." I think we can pray and go home. What do you think? You're like, what in the world is that about? Well, this doesn't make any sense unless. Uh, we go back and explain kind of the context which is back in Genesis chapter 17. So maybe put your thumb there or if you're in a digital Bible, you can just flip uh, back to Genesis chapter 17 and uh, look here with me at Genesis 17. Now as as you're getting there, I'm gonna start in verse nine of Genesis 17. But as you're getting there, uh, let me just say the reason that God was about to kill Moses is because uh, Moses had saddled up his sons and his wife. We've only been told up till this point that he had one son, Gershom. So evidently he has at least one other now. And at least one of these sons has not been circumcised. But you're like, okay, but why would God choose to kill him over that? What's that about? Well, uh, this might shed a little bit of light on it. Let's go to Genesis chapter 17, starting in verse 9. And God said to Abraham, do you remember Abraham? Abraham in this passage is um, about 99 years old. His name previously had been Abram, father of uh, a multitude. Now now he's father of nations, Abraham. uh, Exalted father to father of a multitude, or father of nations, and uh, God appears to him again, says, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, Abraham, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. And this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall, uh, circumc- you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and and you, he who is eight days old among you, shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, he said that a couple of times, every male, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money, uh, in other words, under your authority, your, your slaves, uh, your workers, shall, shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He's broken my covenant. Pretty clear, right? This was a a mark that was given, a mark to all the male children uh, in Abraham's family, a mark on the flesh that was not easily reversed that identified them as God's people. And it was to happen in a very specific way, like on the eighth day after they were born, By the way, it's because of this that some churches do practice infant baptism because they see baptism as the sign of the new covenant. And so while they're young, preferably eight days, you would get baptized as a symbol of being part of God's family and it would become effectual later when you trust Jesus. That's the tradition I grew up in. Maybe some of you did too. But in any case, though, with, with circumcision, it was, it was just that. It was this physical symbol that, that made you part of God's family, but there was a certain sense where it was by faith that this child would grow up to serve and love the Lord. And it was very clear that if you didn't do this, what would happen to those children and to their families? They'd be cut off from God's covenant. If you didn't obey this simple task, you would be cut off. It's pretty clear Would you agree? And some of you, you know, you've been following Jesus for a long time, you understand this a little bit, you're like, yeah, that's clear, but some of you who maybe haven't been following Jesus for very long, you see that, and let me ask you a question. It's also pretty weird, isn't it? Would you agree? Yes or no? Yeah, and some of you who've been following Jesus, you're like, yeah, I still think it's kind of strange. Well again, it was a mark on the flesh, not easily changeable. it was a physical symbol of a spiritual reality that they were part of god 's covenant. Now, in, in that day, jews weren 't the only ones to practice circumcision. Uh, Egyptians did as well, but it was when a boy turned 14 years old, so at puberty or, or in other traditions, it was uh, before marriage, uh, circumcision would happen. Um, which all those were considered an abomination by the Jewish people, but uh, I, I kind of like the eight-day plan, not the you know, right before marriage or, or right after puberty plan. <laughs> but here's the deal. God's gracious in that, isn't he? And it's a mark, though, but here, here's, the, here's the thing. Let me bring you back. I made you laugh a little bit. That's good. <laughs> here's the deal. It was clear that Moses hadn't obeyed this with at least one of his sons. Now, all the whys and all, the, all that we're not gonna get into, and, and I know it seems strange, and to us it is strange, but Moses hadn't obeyed. And because he had not obeyed, God's anger was kindled against him, wasn't it? Because it was pretty clear, if you don't do this, your family, you'll be cut off from the covenant. You'll be cut off. And that's what, what Moses had done. And now, that's confusing and hard to understand. But, of why that is, Isaiah tells us that my thoughts, God says, are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Deuteronomy tells us the secret things belong to the Lord, in terms of of why this sign, why these things but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever that we may, we may do all the words of this law. So it is confusing. And, but all of God's word is there to teach us something. Paul tells Timothy... Uh, All scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God, the person of God, may be complete and equipped for every good work. So this account now of Moses on his way back to Egypt, and this just kind of really strange passage where uh, he becomes sick, and the veil gets pulled back, and we see that it's because he's about to die, and it's because uh, he hadn't circumcised his son. And so his wife, Zipporah, steps in, and she does it, and then Moses... Moses uh, recovers, and everything just goes on, hunky-dory, the rest of the story. Now, let me tell you exactly why this happened, right? You might want to write this down. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Other than the fact that Moses hadn't obeyed. That's the only clear thing. And the other thing that's clear here is that we can learn something from it. All of God's word is there, is there to teach us. So here's a few things that I see that we can learn from this passage. Um, by the way, the filling up at the top in this section, see, Jesus wants to use you, but he requires uh, repentance and obedience. He requires you to repent and turn to him, and he requires you to repent and to obey him. The degree to which God will bless your life and use you is the degree to which you will repent and obey. And Moses here was clearly in the wrong. Why hadn't he done this with one of his sons? We don't know, but he hadn't. And uh, Zipporah's actions satisfied God and and was obedient to the Lord. Now here's what I see about this then in terms of repentance and obedience. Number one, it's all or nothing. If you're gonna follow Jesus, it's not, oh, I'm gonna kind of try this out and maybe just kind of see. No, it's either uh, you follow him or you don't. It's all or nothing. Uh, Jesus himself said, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Listen, if you're thinking about following Jesus, jump in with both feet. It'll be the best decision you ever make in your life. If you're on the fence, you're really not on the fence. You're on the other side of the fence. Jesus says you're with me or you're against me. It's all or nothing. With Moses, it was either, Moses, you need to obey and follow me or uh, pack it up. It's all or nothing. Another thing I see here, uh, another point of application potentially, is it starts at home. See, Paul told, told Timothy uh, when he gave uh, the requirements for a leader in the church, he said he must be he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? If Moses wasn't leading at home, if he wasn't uh, leading and and shepherding his own kids, how in the world is he gonna shepherd uh, the entire nation of Israel? It starts at home, doesn't it? Now, uh, God gives a lot of grace in that. So if you failed at that, there's still grace to you, and there's still the opportunity to do it well now. Uh, I'm I'm in that group of people who have failed at this to different degrees. But God continues to give grace to where as we repent and as we obey and uh, we we lead our homes well, we care for our kids well, uh, God uses us. Isn't that good news? Which really leads me to a third one that's not on your paper, but it's never too late to obey. It's never too late. If you've been uh, disobedient and running from God for a lifetime, It's never too late to turn back to him. It's never too late to repent and to begin to obey. Now, there may be some consequences you have to live with. But listen, those pale in comparison to uh, God's glory that will be revealed to you if you turn and trust Jesus now. It is never too late to obey. And if you're breathing, God is not done with you. Turn to him. Come back to him. He welcomes you with open arms. Moses was 80 years old when this happens. It's never too late. Well, after uh, this somewhat obscure passage, but from which we can learn some things, even if we don't understand all the details and meaning behind all of it, the narrative continues that, see, Jesus wants to use you, and, uh, but he requires repentance and obedience before he accomplishes his will through you. Because after this, then now we see God use Moses. See, it's never too late to obey him. When you come back, God will still use you. The Lord said to Aaron, and now we pick up the story. We get a brief summary of, of all the things that are going to happen and God fulfilling his promises. The Lord said to Aaron, Aaron was Moses' brother. He said to him, go into the wilderness to meet your brother Moses. So Aaron went, he went and he met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. So he went back to Mount Horeb, to Mount Sinai. That's where he met his brother Moses. He gives him kind of a greeting, a kiss on the cheek. And they they see each other for the first time in 40 years since Moses has run from Egypt. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak. Remember all these things that that had just happened on that very place. Moses is back there now. He meets Aaron. All the things of of God appearing to him in the burning bush, he shares all of that with his brother, sharing with him, hey, listen, uh, you're going to be the spokesperson, Aaron. God's going to use us. We're going to go back. You're going to speak. We're going to rescue God's people with his power. And then verse 29, Moses and Aaron went and they gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel so they get back to Egypt and they gather together all the elders of the people of Israel and Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs and the sight of the people the throwing the staff down into the snake and uh, his hand inside leprous and then his hand back out uh, healed and pouring the water and it turning to blood and did all of this and remember Moses fear what did he say But Lord, they're never going to believe that you really appeared to me. Those people, they're never going to really believe that you want to use me. They're never going to believe any of this happened or that it was you. Aaron spoke all those words and verse 31, but check it out. Moses' fears were maybe a little in vain, weren't they? And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshipped. A few things here for us is we see God keeping his promise to Moses, don't we? Well, you notice it says, and to blank. Guess whose name goes in that blank on your filling? You. You. He keeps all of his promises to Moses. What were some of those promises? That Moses, if you go back, uh, fine then. Uh, I'm going to use you. I'll speak through Aaron. You're gonna do these signs and the people will believe. L- listen, they'll, they'll believe and I'm gonna use you to rescue them. I've heard their cry. I know what's going on and I'm gonna rescue them through you. Your brother's gonna come out and meet you on this. All of these things that God had promised, they happened. Listen, all the promises God makes to you, He keeps just like he did to Moses. We read some scripture while we were singing this morning from Lamentations. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness, amen? Or the psalmist, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Every promise God makes, he keeps. Like, well, it's been 2,000 years. When is Jesus coming back? I don't know, but he's coming, And he will keep that promise. Okay, but I'm still struggling with this. When am I going to be made new? Well, as you repent and obey, he's going to make you new. And eventually you're going to be totally new. I promise. God promises it. In Jesus' name, he promised. He's, He's going to complete what he started in you. Trust him. We see that with Moses. And God goes with Moses. That was another thing he promised. He'll go with you. He goes with you. Wherever he sends you, raise your doubts. You can be afraid. It's okay, but trust him. He goes with you into that. Whatever it is, trust him and obey him. He'll work his will through you. And God worked as Moses obeyed. Moses obeyed. Um, he kept. He, he followed uh, even on the way. His wife steps in in obedience, and as as he obeys. Uh, God continues to work and he'll do the same as you obey him as well. It's worth noticing how little the Bible talks here about Moses meeting with the elders in Israel compared to how much it talked about his fear of going. Isn't it true that often our fears so far outweigh reality? And it was the same case with Moses. But so why does the Bible relay that? Because it's a real life situation. It's a real thing that happened. And Moses was a real human being like us. And he was afraid, but as he obeyed, God kept his promise, he went with him, and he worked mightily through him. Listen, he will do the same with you. He wants to use you. It requires repentance and obedience, though, before he'll work his will through you. Amen? Let's pray. We're gonna sing, and we'll call it a morning. Father, Thanks for Jesus. Thanks that, um, Jesus, our ultimate, obedient, our ultimate obedience is on you because you obeyed and you rescued us and you saved us. But in, in terms of your blessing and in terms of our joy and others good as, as you work through us, there is a degree to which our obedience uh, determines that. So, uh, Lord, as much as you want to use each of us, help us all to be obedient. Help those who've never repented and never uh, Jesus trusted you in saving faith to turn to you today. For those who need to repent of sin and, uh, and obey, let them do that by the power of your spirit today. And we know that, uh, that as we do that, Lord, you promise uh, to go with us. You keep all your promises. You'll be with us and you'll work through us. You'll get glory, others will get good, and we'll get joy. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for the truth of the gospel, and we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.